All right, and we're back with another episode of the Lions Guy podcast where we take on topics in performance and personal growth by exploring the success stories of our guests and the lessons they've learned. And I interview other subject matter experts on topics of performance and growth. I also review books and other resources that would help us all establish clarity, build our courage, and lead. I'm your host, Dale Walls. I'm the founder of Lions Guide. And on this episode, we've got Mr. Eric Brooker. And Eric is a technology executive for the last 20 years turned podcaster. Uh, Eric hosts a podcast with a focus on culture and leadership and has had guests from New York Times bestselling authors to the founder of Reebok and the CEO of Chipotle and, and many more. So on this episode, Eric and I talk about his journey, turning into a avid reader of a book a week at this point. Um, we talk about his success in marriage for 17 years and raising seven kids and his podcast called Council Culture about culture, leadership, and just being better. So if you like the sound of that, hit the subscribe button now so you don't miss any of our other great guests and content. And as always, this podcast is sponsored by Lions Guide. And if you've been t- tuning in and getting value from the show, then do yourself a favor. Go out there uh, and get on lionsguy.com and join our member community called The Pride. You know, There's no cost to you. It's free and you get access to all kinds of free exclusive content to include yet to be released episodes of the podcast. We've got reading lists out there. I do live virtual training events. Uh, i got a private online group to engage with other growth-minded members and a whole lot more. So again, Join the Pride is free and I'm developing it all to help you break out of your rut and or break through to that next best version of yourself by establishing clarity, building your courage, and being the true leader of your life. So go out there, check it out now. Go to lionsguide.com and join today. And with that, let's start the show. And on today's episode, we've got Mr. Eric Brooker, who is a technology executive turned podcaster. Uh, sounds familiar. <laughs> the, uh, uh, <laughs> whose podcast focuses on uh, culture and leadership. And he's had guests from New York Times bestselling authors to founders of major corporations. I'll let him uh, name drop some of those. But I uh, want to get Eric on. I met you through uh, Ronnell uh, Richards, through LinkedIn and all that jazz, man. So, uh, I love your style. I love your content, man. So uh, come on, tell, tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, who you are. What do you do? Yeah, no, I appreciate the opportunity, Dale. I'm really looking forward to the conversation. So the short story is uh, my wife and I live uh, with our seven kids in St. Paul, Minnesota. I've been in the tech space for, wow, gosh, I'm aging myself now, 21 years. And about a year and a half ago, I had a buddy reach out and ask me if I would join his podcast as a guest. And for the sake of transparency, I'd never actually listened to a podcast before, not just not one of his, but I had never listened to a podcast before. So I didn't I didn't really know what I was getting myself into. Well, I got off the podcast recording with him. I thought, gosh, this was really easy. The conversation part was easy. He walked me through the editing. And in the middle of this pandemic, this idea of the great resignation and people finding themselves, I decided decided to start a podcast. And so, yeah, I host a podcast. The podcast is called Council Culture, and we focus primarily on culture and leadership. So some of the guests you mentioned, uh, the CEO, Chipotle, executives from Twitter, Disney, Chick-fil-A. We just had on a couple of weeks ago, the founder of Reebok, who has an incredible story, an incredible journey himself, and the conversations continue. So for me, selfishly, it's been a really good learning opportunity for 
my listeners, I found that we've had some real impact. We have done a couple of episodes on alcohol and addiction, which is a real thing, especially in the pandemic. And I've had some people reach out to me and it's, it's just, it's really meaningful to know that the guests I'm having on are able to articulate their story, share their story and have an impact on my listeners. Yeah, I think it's great. I think that's the one big positive. It's one of these things I hear, you know, now and who knows how it lasts over the next few years if things kind of correct themselves or get back to normal, whatever that's going to be, you know, you hear that everyone's got a podcast and and whatever. And, and that, that, that kind of, I don't know about you, it kind of, that kind of, made me think for a minute did i even want to jump into doing this i mean everyone's doing a podcast i want to do it but I, I i agree man it feels like you know there's there's value to be we talked about this a little bit of the pre-show like if there's value to be gained like go dig it up and put it out there share it with yeah. the world you know why not uh people people are hungry for it you know regardless there could be a billion podcasts you know one out there is going to serve someone you know so why not take the opportunity the uh with regard to uh the as far as you right <laughs> You're, talk to me about your family life a little bit. I know you're you're juggling a lot. So what what do you got going on over there? Yeah, the family life's chaotic. So we are <laughs> toddlers to teenagers. Our oldest kid is uh, just turned 21. We'll talk about her a little bit later in the show, I think. And our youngest is two. So we're dealing with potty training in college and high school and drama and uh, dating. The thing that I find most fascinating about this for myself, the chaos that my wife and I live within is something, A, I think we've grown accustomed to, but B, I think we enjoy. I think we enjoy, you know, I've got a, one of our kids is here. She's 13. She's lying in bed. The level of intention in which we're raising the kids has been a gift. I think I've learned a lot from my parents on how to raise kids and candidly, if they're listening, how not to raise kids. But, you know, one of the things that we do is we try and get the kids out on dates just one on one Uh, every once in a while. We just got back from Cancun with our 13 year old because at 13, you get to take a trip with both of your parents anywhere in the world. But we're dealing with a lot. Right. All the same stuff that everybody else is. We've got wrestling practice and play practice and sick kids and homework and projects. But, you know, I don't think our life with seven is any different than anybody else's with two or three. I, I wanted to pick your brain about this because I know your podcast being about culture and leadership. Like, talk to me about leadership running a family of seven, right? What you know, because a lot of times we we talk about leadership, right, and we think that's organizational, that's in business, that's whatever. But but you are leading a family. You and your wife are partnered in leading a family. What what's your take on kind of the requirement of of leadership in in in, in family growth and development? Yeah. So my tagline for the show is uh, culture is contagious. Leadership is a choice. It's actually the inverse of that. Leadership is a choice. Culture is contagious. And what I mean by it's a choice, whether you're the husband or the wife, uh, I think we all have a responsibility to lead by example. It really starts with that. It's the same stuff that our parents told us when we were kids, where we rolled our eyes. I, as uh, a sales manager, the VP of sales for the tech company that I work for, or me as a dad, I have this idea that I always have to be willing to do what I ask my staff to do or the people that I work with to do. In the case at home, I've got to be willing to do the same stuff that I ask of the kids, meaning I got to do the laundry, I got to do the dishes, I got to take the trash out. I don't believe, and this goes for my wife as well, we don't believe that you can perpetually demand things of your kids that you are also not willing to do. Now, that's not to say that you have to do it all the time, 
but you have to show your kids your willingness to lead by example. And I'll take it to work for just a minute. Gosh, about six years ago, I had a, a very dear friend at the time, Lucas. Lucas and I worked together. We worked in the data center business. Uh, he was the facilities manager at the time, meaning uh, in a data center in particular, I bet you they had 100 cameras strewn throughout the building. And when I used to get to the data center, because it was a few hours from my office I'd norm or from the house, I'd normally spend the week up in northern Minnesota. And so I'd get to the office pretty early, 6, 6.30 in the morning. And he pulls me in his office when he gets in at about 8.30. He shuts the door. And man, Lucas and I are buddies. I think I'm in trouble. He says, I know what you did. I said, Lucas, what are you talking about? He said, I saw that you got in at 6.30 and I saw what you did. Do you want to fess up to it now? And I thought, oh, I, like, I don't even know what you're talking about. So we go th this back and forth and I'm starting to like drip in sweat for fear that I've done something wrong. And he says, Eric, I saw you do the dishes, sweep the floors and make some coffee. And I was like, hold time, time out. Hold on. What are you talking about? He said, well, I saw what you did. That's all Julia's job. I said, well, Lucas, we've got someone coming in at nine o'clock this morning to tour the facility. There were dishes in the sink. There was some stuff on the carpet that needed to be swept up and I was going to make coffee. So I made myself some coffee and then I made a carafe of regular and decaf. He said, why would you do that? That's Julia's job. I said, because it needed to be done. And he goes, and that's exactly why we hired you, because you're willing to pick up the broom and do what it takes. And that conversation right then and there, I think, leads right back to your question about leadership at home. You've got to be willing to do what it takes. My 15-year-old mows the yard. He didn't mow the yard when he was two. I did it. And then at some point, he showed interest, and I let him do it. And candidly, like the dishes that my kids do every night, when he would mow the yard, I would then go back and mow it after him because he did a terrible job. My kids don't do a great job doing the dishes and I go back and fix it after them. But you got to give them the ability to fail by trying to lead themselves. And the fun part for me, and then we'll move on, the fun part for me, and it doesn't happen as often as I'd like it, the really, the joy for me is watching my kids lead by example, meaning they'll put that last uh, paper plate or cup in the trash and then they'll go take the trash out to the street because they see the bag was full or my son will go out on a Saturday and mow the yard without me asking because it just needs to be done. Watching the kids then do things on their own because they need to get done is a real joy for me. Are you, are you seeing that kind of click? Is there, is there a time, you know, you've got seven kids, so you got a good pool to pull from. Is it, is that time? Because I feel like, you know, you see these, um, uh, I don't know, I'll say stereotypes today where the kids are lazy. They just want to be on their phones. Like, are, are you seeing, how are you combating that as a parent? Like this, this comfort culture that there's so much, uh, you know, to do online in their phones and distraction and so on. Hey, look, I, I, what I tell people is adults can't even handle it. You know, how our kids handle it, but, but how are you, how are you dealing with that as far as a, a parent with seven? We had uh, a gentleman who was uh, the father of a dear friend of my wife's, uh, Dr. Farmer, and he told us when Owen, our 15-year-old, was probably two or three years old, that everything is a privilege. And when we first heard that, that was really confusing to us. But he said, you have a basic obligation to feed and water your kids. Uh, and he said that half jokingly, 
But that doesn't mean that fruit snacks are feeding. You can give your kid a slice of chicken for dinner with some rice and a glass of water. And that is you owning your responsibility. And in an effort to give them the fruit snacks, they have to earn the fruit snacks. You have to see them doing good. And I don't want to say that Jen and I are amazing at this because when A, we fail all the time at this, but when we start to fail as parents, we see that behavior sliding with our kids. But when we catch our kids doing good things, right now it's our five-year-old, he wears a pull-up at night. If he gets up in the morning, takes his pull-up off, throws it in the trash and gets himself dressed, that's when we want to reward our kid with what we would call a privilege, fruit snacks or maybe a a sugary cereal for breakfast or a soda at lunch. Hey man, I saw what you did. Thanks so much for getting ready this morning. At lunchtime, we're going to we're going to let you open a Coke, which is a treat in our house that they might have once a week. I think the same goes with the cell phone. We've been not as good as I'd like. In fact, I would go back and do it different. We got our son an iPhone a few years ago. Uh, Gab Wireless is a phone that I think will get our kids going forward. If you're not familiar with Gab and you're a parent, get familiar with them. It's G-A-B-B. But giving him an iPhone, I felt like we opened the floodgates for everything that you're talking about. The interesting thing is between Disney Circle, which is a firewall at the house, which can VPN into the phone's cellular carrier, which allows us to restrict our son's access to everything from pornography to YouTube to games to everything to screen time on the phone itself. The Apple device has a feature called screen time. Everything's a privilege. So he gets 15 minutes of TikTok every day and he's got to earn anything more than those 15 minutes. Now, he'll use those 15 minutes on the way to school almost every morning. So he comes home and knows what needs to be done for him to ask for more time. So again, we fail all the time. It's easier. Every parent listening knows it's way easier to plop your kids in front of the TV than it is to parent or help them with homework or whatever, because you've got to make dinner, you've got to mow the yard, or you've got to work out. That's our big failure. That's our big failure right now as parents. My two-year-old, his favorite show is some silly little cartoon called Coco Melon. We will let him watch Coco Melon for 15 minutes, and then our day is ruined because that's all he wants to do. So now we got to take it away and give it to him as a privilege every couple of days. And it's real hard when they're young, because I don't think they quite understand privileges. But again, we're working on it. Yeah, I'm with you there. And I, and I love picking the brains of other parents in that capacity because it is. All right. We're, we're in uncharted territories a bit as parents today, right? We're like, as humans today, we're on uncharted territories with all this information age and accessibility and all that stuff. So I'm always interested in kind of how people are balancing it. And I think, you know, it seems like, I don't know if you're seeing this, do you see like, where, where are you seeing parents go wrong in your opinion. So now, now you're allowed to put your, your judgy hat on and kind of go, man, I, things I see, or maybe mistakes you've made that, um, you know, you aren't going to make anymore. Well, no, I'm definitely going to make them plenty of times over. You know, the interesting thing, I think you and I are about the same age. Our parents, when we were kids, would say things. I'm guessing your parents did as well, Dale. I remember exactly what it's like to be 15 years old, or I know exactly what it's like to be 13 years old. And I think us growing up, uh, I'm in my early 40s, me growing up, we I grew up in an analog age. My, my parents grew up in an analog age. Our parents didn't have a childhood that looked all that much different. I would never let my kids do this today, but I'd go ride four or five miles on a bike to my buddy Eric's house and I'd come home after it was dark 
And that was just okay. When I look at my kids today, again, 21 to two, I can't look at any of them and say, I know exactly what it's like to be 15 because my version of 15 for the first time, maybe in the history of the world looks exponentially different than what it was when I was 15. Consistency is the area that I think we fail in the most. Uh, Being consistent in parenting, being consistent in punishments, being consistent. I think the area in which I failed and I see parents fail the most is punishment. Dale, we're taking a privilege away and you don't get it back for a week, period. No, no questions asked. And let's say it's the TV. You know what's going to happen an hour from now when my buddy comes over to grab some bourbon or have a quick conversation or a cigar or fire pit in the front yard. And so I'm going to say, hey, why don't you go watch a show while Mr. Metzinger and I are out in the front yard? And we just, we give in because it's easier than the consequence. And the consequence is the kid's going to nag or the kid's going to beg or plead or steal or throw something or kick or have a tantrum. Our biggest area of failure, and I think one of the biggest areas of failure for all of us as parents is just consistency. We ask a lot of our kids. And I think in, in most cases, the asks are reasonable, but we don't see them through. So if your kid doesn't do the chores, our, our answer on Saturdays is everyone's got chores on Saturdays. You don't do the chores on Saturdays. That's fine. We're going to wake you up early on Sunday to do them and there's no allowance. But then Sunday rolls around and my wife wants to sleep in and I don't want to get up either. So it's like, well, they'll just, they'll get to them next week. Now we're not going to pay them allowance, but they didn't learn the responsibility of getting chores done for allowance or not for allowance. One area that I think we learned really, really early on that I'm really grateful for is a a family here in the St. Paul area that taught us about allowance. When our 15 year old turned 13, we started giving him, assuming he did his chores, $25 a week. Now, I got like a dollar a week for doing chores as kids and $25 seems excessive to a lot of your listeners. But here's where it goes. That $25 a week is his to do with as he pleases, but he is responsible for putting shoes on his feet. He is responsible for the clothes that he wears. He is responsible for his entertainment, his dinners out with his buddies, his lunches out with his buddies. So he buys his own clothes. And he manages his own budget. And that's one area where I think my parents failed. And I think our our generation's parents failed us is I didn't learn the value of a dollar. And I think one of the things we're trying to give our kids is at $25 a week, you got to buy your own everything. Now, we're not expecting him to buy his own food, but from socks, shoes, underwear, shorts, clothes for church, the whole nine yards, you got to manage that $100 a month as best as you can. Yeah, I, I love that. The, uh, what, uh, at what age did, did that become the, the standard? We just started talking about doing it for a 13-year-old. When Owen was 13, I think, is when we started it. And we'll, generally speaking, I think we buy socks, underwear, and uniforms for school, and that's the extent of it. One pair of shoes a year. But otherwise, he's got to manage it. And the interesting thing is, the first place we start shopping, Dale, anytime he needs to go shopping for something new, we start at Goodwill because he recognizes that he's got a budget to live within. And as a kid, I had no idea what Goodwill and Savers and thrift stores were. And there's nothing wrong with it, but he's mindful of his budget. And I'm hopeful that his experience as a young adult is far better than my experience as a young adult when I did what nearly every other kid did uh, 
is get themselves in debt, find a credit card, spend too much and dig yourself out for the next five years. Yeah. Now, now, now uh, with your 15 year old, was that the first child that you did that with or did you, had you done it before? Yeah. So he's our second. Uh, and we had gotten the idea after Carolyn, our oldest was out of the house, right. uh, not out of the house, but she was beyond the age of now entering into this idea. Uh, so yeah, I think Owen was our first, he's our second child and we'll certainly do it with the rest because it's proven really well. You know, the hard conversation, Dale, when you don't have any money is, Hey, I can't go out tonight. And he's had to have that conversation with his buddies. Hey man, tonight's, tonight's just not going to work. It's that necessity thing, right? A lot of people have like goals. I was talking about this this morning. A lot of people have goals, right? But we're in such this creature comfort era, right? We're, I mean, we're the wealthiest as humans as we've ever been in the history of mankind, right? Like we, we just yep. have all these comforts. And so it's easy to be comfortable. And even I love how you talk about uh, choosing ease versus um, the hard stuff and how that leads to failure as a parent, right? Like it's easy to just let the kids have what they want. Easy. Just give them everything. That's easy, right? Cause then you don't have to deal with the difficult conversation, everything that you described. And, um, but you know, you know, there is that, you know, someone can have a goal and that's great, but if they're comfortable, you know, and there, it, there's not enough push, right? There's like, it, it, there's sometimes some people, some mindset, like the goal is like a nice to have, Versus having some necessity that if you don't start moving in the direction of these goals, like you're not going to get what you want. So I, I love that you're, you know, you've got your uh, son, I think you said Owen, like kind of in this budget era that he's got some necessity to save. He's got some necessity to be thrifty, you know, and and and, and money conscious and, and and ultimately build the, the, the value of the dollars. I, I think it's awesome. It's really, really good. I, I will say, I do think it's important to recognize the times in which that isn't necessarily going to happen. And I, I give an example. We rely heavily on him having a cell phone, uh, either because he's at home with the kids or because he's on the other side of town with his buddies wrestling at wrestling practice or at play practice or something like that. He goes to school about 45 minutes away from where we live. So him having a cell phone at 15 is pretty important. We bought him a cell phone when he was 13. And I looked him in the eyes when we gave it to him. And I said, young man, this is the only cell phone we're ever going to buy you. And about three months ago, he broke his cell phone. And it was 400 bucks to replace it. It was the cheapest option that we could find was a $400 replacement. Now, we give him a budget, 25 bucks a week. He doesn't have $400 right now to, to just simply replace the phone, but we needed him to replace the phone. He needed to replace the phone. So in that case, we sat in the Apple store and we walked through, hey, this is 400 bucks, buddy. That's a lot of money. We're going to put it on our debit card today and you're going to pay mm -hmm. us back. But before we, before we buy the phone, how are you going to pay us back? How often are you going to pay us back? Is it $10 a month? Is it $30 a month? And we sat in the Apple store before we made the purchase and we came to terms on what that was going to look like because it was important. And we still talk about it. He owes us, I think, $325. Every time he makes a payment, he sends us a text with the updates of what he owes us. So we're documenting it um, because I do think there's times to deviate from the rigidity that I, I like to talk about because life's not as rigid as we'd like it to be. Yeah. 
Yeah, and a great opportunity in a sandbox to learn that lesson, right? What do you do when you don't have the money for something that you need, right? And how do you fund it? How do you, you know, take a loan, pay it back and, and give them that practice, right? You know, the yeah. time that you're controlling it, you know, as opposed to, like you said earlier, getting out, getting getting that credit card statement in, or uh, mail or junk mail and then go, oh, I can have 2,500 bucks and then boom, there yeah. you go. Start that, that, that mountain. So awesome. Now, did you have a bunch of siblings growing up? Uh, it was me and my brother, my older brother, for uh, a number of years. My parents both got remarried. I inherited a stepsister and a stepbrother, so just the four of us. Oh, wow. So you had a little bit of experience of uh, you know, having siblings in the house and the interactions and all that jazz. Yeah, for sure. So with regard to that, right, like having seven kids is a lot. Obviously, you're professional and all that. Like how, what's, what's work-life balance look like to you? What does it mean? You know, it's interesting. I interviewed the CEO of Chipotle a number of months ago, a guy by the name of Monty Moran. He's written an incredible book called Love is Free, Guac is Extra, uh, aptly named for the former CEO of Chipotle. And I think it was him that brought up this idea that that the idea of a work-life balance is sort of unjust in, its, in, an, in itself. And all I mean by that is there's weeks there's weeks where I'm far more present to my family than I am to work. And then there's weeks next week. I'm in Las Vegas. I'm in Las Vegas from Monday to Friday. I will have, in fact, this particular week is a hard week. I'm not going to be, I won't talk to my wife very much. I'll try and FaceTime with the kids every night, maybe if time allows. But for the most part, that week is 7 a.m. breakfast to midnight going to bed and my kids will be in bed. I won't see them. And then there's weeks where I'm far more focused. Maybe I only put 30 hours in at the office, but it's because the kids have a performance or soccer practice or a soccer game or something along those lines. So family life is really important to me. I, I talk a lot in a sales and leadership role that I've been really blessed to be in my role because I get to determine my schedule. I get to schedule most of my appointments for me. Sometimes my team does, sometimes travel's required. But generally speaking, this morning, as an example, I got to my desk at 8.15, 8.30, which is pretty late for me, but it's because I wanted to take my daughter to school. That's not something I normally get to do. And she's asked me a couple times recently to take, you know, hey, can you take me to school? Don't lose sight of the fact, and I have for many, many years, and I feel like I'm just gaining control of this, but don't lose sight of the fact that we go to work so we can be present to our families. I think so many of us lose sight of why it is that we go to work. And I did for a long time. I'm about a year and a half in to really understanding why it is that I get up and go to work every day. The first few months of COVID, I'm pretty vocal about this. I didn't even know how to do my job. My job was going out and meeting with people. I was out of my office every day. I was on a plane most weeks. And for the first couple months, I didn't know how to do my job from behind a desk. Now, God bless Zoom and GoToMeeting and you know Skype and all that, but I've learned how to do that. But the other thing I've learned through COVID is just how important my family is. And that was a really great reset for me. I don't want to diminish all the suffering that people went through through COVID. For me, it was a blessing because I was able to refocus and reprioritize. And I'm just far more present, family first. And if you're working for a company that doesn't have that philosophy, you're probably working for the wrong company. I had, uh, actually yesterday was the one year anniversary. 
my sister-in-law uh, unfortunately passed away a year ago yesterday due to an 11 year battle with alcohol addiction. And I realized the culture in my organization when she passed away. We live in Minnesota. All of my family lives in Phoenix. I got a call at three o'clock in the morning that my sister-in-law had passed away very unexpectedly. And what do you do? You start packing and you get the car loaded. And at about 10 o'clock, when I knew my boss was moving out west, I sent him a note. I said, hey, my sister-in-law passed away. Probably going to leave for Phoenix this afternoon. And for the next two weeks, I didn't work but one hour. Um, and that was that was a meeting I, I felt like I needed to take. And it was a good it was a good way to get away from everything going on. But the company cared so well for me from sending flowers to the mortuary to my boss and the founder of the company saying, hey, whether it's a couple of days or a few weeks, whatever you need to do, take care of your family. And for me in my next role, whether it be a sole proprietorship where I eventually employ people or if I leave the current company to go somewhere else, that's the type of culture I'm looking for. Someone that's going to care well for me and understand that family is first. Yeah. And I'm glad you bring that up because it, it is a great lesson. It's so easy to get hyper-focused on work and not prioritize. And, and I say not prioritize. What I mean is recognize that some things can wait, you know, like we, we can get our heads down as, as professionals, executives or whatever, and think like everything's now, 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 but you know, time management can also be recognizing what doesn't need to be right now. So we can go back and like you said, give time to your family. And, and you're right, right. When you're traveling and it needs your attention and, and there's going to be balance in both directions. There's going to be balance one way for the nece- the needs of your career and, and how you're providing for your family and all that stuff. And then there's balance back the other way to compensate for it and all that. And yeah, it's, it's the whole, whole picture. Yeah. The, uh, I, I, that's a good kind of segue into the podcast. So congrats on all the success there. You know, the guest list has been impressive, you know, so tell me, tell me about the show. Yeah. So I, I really started it on a whim. If it's funny, I ended up having her on the show. I read a book for those that don't know me. I don't, I didn't previous to the show. I didn't read a whole lot. I had an author, a woman by the name of Deanne Turner. She was the vice president of talent for Chick-fil-A for about 33 years. I connected with her on LinkedIn. She was kind enough to send me a copy of her book. And candidly, I felt obligated to read the book because the author had sent me a copy of her book. So I read the book and I had questions at after reading the book. And I felt like well, I can't call her and ask her these questions, but how do I get the answers to these questions? And so I did my buddy's podcast. We talked about that. And I realized in starting a podcast, I can have Deanne Turner on my show to get some of these questions answered. Subsequently, again, we've talked about the the folks that we've had on. We focus on culture and leadership. And the premise of the show really stems. My third episode is, uh, I think it's called a toxic work environment. I was in a terrible work environment. The reason we focus on culture and leadership is because earlier in my career, I worked for a, a really terrible company that said all the right things in the interview process, that had the right vinyl letters talking about all the things that they stand for, you know, splattered on the walls of the corporate office. They had Taco Tuesday and foosball tables and free coffee and pizza and all the all the cool things. But the practicality is once I got in and the rose-colored glasses came off, I'll just be really honest, they weren't good people. And so my endeavor in putting this together, this show, 
is I want to learn and I want to share with others how to sort of figure this out in the interview process. And when you're talking to people, we've had experts on parenting come on and talk about the things that we were just talking about, culture and leadership at home, culture and leadership in the office, culture and leadership at church, at, at wrestling camp. And I just, I feel selfishly, I've learned a tremendous amount. I mean, I never, never would have gotten to know the founder of Reebok had I not started a podcast. So selfishly, it's a lot of fun. But, you know, back to the alcohol piece for just a minute, I aired an episode, oddly, the day my sister-in-law passed away is when it was scheduled. So I ended up airing it that day. Uh, despite the fact that she passed away, but it was about alcohol addiction of all things. And I had someone reach out to me that day telling me, not someone I knew, that he was 500 days sober. He said, Eric, I woke up 500 days sober and I was ready to celebrate. And what he meant by I was ready to celebrate is he was ready to have a drink. He said, I got out of the shower and I looked at my phone and I was going to turn on a podcast said, in scrolling, I somehow found your podcast and I'm listening to your show the day, that, that morning as I'm getting ready for my day. And he says, I immediately walked into the kitchen. I looked at my wife and said, hey, today's day 500 and I need help. And he said, I wouldn't have recognized it if it weren't for your show. And that's not me. That's not, it, this has nothing to do with me. This is the guests that I've had on the show and the impact that they're having. But as long as I continue to have those impacts on people with the guests that we have on the show, man alive, I'm absolutely going to keep doing it. And again, selfishly, the things I'm able to learn through these guests, I'm so grateful for. Hey guys, Dale here. And I wanted to take a quick break to invite you to join the launch of the Lions Guy community called The Pride. You see, whether it was at work dealing with the demands of the day or maintaining the demands of my life at home, I always seemed to feel like my struggles were unique, like somehow I was the only one struggling to find joy amidst all the weight that I felt I was carrying each day. And you know what I've come to realize is that we all have our struggles that we're up against, and it's pretty demanding. The only way to rise to those demands is to decide and make the change to adopt a growth mindset, to be what I call a high performer. And that's why I started Lions Guide. I want to help you break through to the next level of you and your ability to not only meet, but exceed those demands on you and in doing so, find your joy again. If you're a growth-minded individual ready to make a change, then I'm here for you. And this is how you get started. I invite you to visit lionsguide.com and sign up to join the Pride. The Pride is the Lions Guide community for growth-minded members like you. Once signed up, you'll get special access to all the free content and resources I'm putting out there. You'll also be invited to join my live online events where I host sessions on personal growth and high performance. You'll also be able to engage with other growth-minded members on our private online group. Also, if you enjoy the podcast as a member, you'll get access not only to all the podcasts, but also the podcasts that have been yet to be released. So get access to all this and more. So break out of that rut, break into your next level and join me on lionsguide.com and let's grow together. Go to lionsguide.com and become a member of the pride today. Now back to the show. Everything is a privilege. Like it's common sense, but yeah, I'm with you, man. Like getting all this you know, knowledge and just, you know, and, and just, it is, it's, it's a lot of value content. And I think like, you know, being a soldier in a good fight, as I like to say, getting out there and, and making sure this, this good thoughtful information and it become and, and good. What do I say? A lot of, a lot of ego out there today and, and helping people kind of break through and go, no, we all have problems. We all have challenges. Here's how we overcome them. And, and just keeping these conversations up at the top, because, you know, we're faced with this, uh, 
the highlight reel of social media and all these things that we think something's wrong with us because we, our lives don't look like what we see online yeah. and just having these real conversations um, you know, people need to hear, it, you know, um, yeah. you know, we might be fortunate to be having these conversations with friends and circles, or whatever. Uh, but other people don't have that privilege sometimes. So hearing it in these podcasts and, and everything else is a great way to get access to that, that value. Well, I, I think there's little things, the highlight reel, hopefully we'll talk about that a little bit later. The highlight reel issue that we're going through in society, I think is a real problem, but you know, you talked about the good fight. It immediately made me think of an episode that I had called The Good Fight with an author of the book aptly named The Good Fight. Leanne Davy came on and talked about the importance of conflict at home and in the office. Mm -hmm. And these are things that I'm learning along the way is I've got a lot of growth that needs to happen for me to be the parent, the father, the husband, uh, uh, and the coworker that I want to be. And for me, the podcast has been a gift because I continue to grow and mature and add new things to who I am based on what I'm trying to become. Yeah. I, yeah. You're your own ideal in a, of, of a sort, right? Like, yeah. You know, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and that's powerful stuff, man. Like living it, just live what you want to be. And, and the more you're talking, we talk, we were talking about uh, goals, I think in the uh, green room earlier, right? The more you talk about it and, and put it out there, like who you're trying to be, right? Like, you know, for example, if you know you want to get better at something, but you don't tell anyone versus knowing you want to get better at something and telling people in your circle so that you can just, you know, we, we want to have good word. Right. So if we're like, for me, like if I say something, it's, it's on, like if it comes out of my mouth, it's, it's, it's on because I don't want to be that guy. Right. So just, you know, talking it, living it, hearing it and getting exposed to it, man, hundred percent, you've got no choice. So to there's hold accountable to it. There's data around that. Ryan Leak, an author of a book called uh, chasing failure writes this in his book putting it out there, like you're talking about, you are 65% more likely to actually do it. Now, here's the other piece. And I think the number is 80 or 85%. You're 85% more likely to get it done if you have an accountability partner. So putting it out there in the world, you're more likely to, but you're exponentially more likely to if you actually say, hey, Dale, I need you to hold me accountable to this. I'm going to lose 15 pounds or I'm going to work out an hour a day or Whatever that thing is, because you know what's going to happen? The the one gift in this little box here, the the cell phone that I'm holding up, is that I can shoot you a text at any hour. Hey, man, it's nine o'clock at night. You said you're going to work out every day. Have you gotten your workout in yet? No. Well, then get off the couch, get out of bed, go get your ass on the bike, go now, right now. Like you have that accountability if you actually have someone holding you to it. Yeah, no, hundred percent. The uh, so uh, with regard to the show, like uh, it's it's council culture. How did you come up with the name? Well, that's a funny story. So it used to be called the New Norm, and the New Norm, candidly, was a lot of fun for a while. The podcast hasn't changed a whole lot. We've added this idea that we hear from inspirational people that hopefully motivate us to be better versions of ourselves. But I really, as as COVID continued, I didn't like the connotation, the new norm. When I grabbed onto it, it felt like a very new phrase. I know I didn't, but I felt like I came up with it. And so I actually put it out there to my listeners and said, hey, I, I need to rename the show. I don't think this adequately talks about who we are and what we're doing. And I had a contest. In fact, actually, the winner of the contest is a guy named Nick Miller. He sent me a text. I said, hey, whoever, whoever comes up with the name, I'll give credit for on the show. 
Uh, I will send them some swag for the new show. And it was really focused on what we're about. We're about advising people on culture and leadership. And I do like the play on cancel culture, but to counsel someone is to give advice. Um, and we're counseling people and giving advice on culture and leadership. And Nick sent me a text one night and said, hey, I've come up with it. The interesting thing about the name is I had a name, I had a logo, uh, I had paid a marketing firm good money to come up with the new logo and the new design. And uh, and he said, Eric, I've got one. And Nick, if you're listening, I was really placating you. I wasn't going to change the podcast. I'd already spent a lot of money on the new logo. And then he said, council culture. And I didn't even need to sit on it. That was the name of the show. It fit perfectly. And it's gone over really well with the audience. Uh, because I think in naming a podcast, you want something that's going to stop people in their tracks. And I think council culture, the the play on words from cancel culture sort of grabs people. But I also think it really does a pretty clear job of articulating what we're about. Yeah. And, and what are you about? I guess, what are you... Who who did you produce this for? Who who are you putting it out there for? Who do you who do you hope your audience is, or what what message are you trying to get across? So when I first started the show, I don't know that I that I had an answer for that. I started a show because I felt like my audience was me, and I wanted to I wanted to do something different and stretch myself through the pandemic. I really want my audience to be anybody that wants to be a better version of themselves. It's just that simple, whether that's in business or at home, whether that's as a spouse or as a parent, anybody that wants to be a better version of themselves. Again, we talk about the key executives that I've had on the show, and that's great because I think that gives some credibility to the show itself. But I had a buddy of mine, David Lins. David is the uh, parish director at a Catholic church in Arizona who has an immense amount of wisdom to offer in terms of just life. He's been through a lot. He shares his wealth, wealth of knowledge. We had Dr. Mary Ruth Hackett on, who's a child psychologist, because I wanted to talk to her about parenting, not just through the pandemic, but parenting in general. I think so many of us strive to be better versions of ourselves. And I'll go back to what you said. We get this highlight reel scrolling Instagram, or we get this highlight reel scrolling Facebook, and we're like, shoot, I'm never going to be that parent. Well, none of those people are that parent either. But if we're just striving just a little bit, a guy, a guy by the name of Eric Benson, I used to work with years and years and years ago, early in my career. And he had this philosophy of, Dale, if you could get 1% every, every day, 1% every day, you're just a little bit better. You're 1% better each and every day. Think of where you end on December 31st. That's 365% better. And it's just... It's just a little extra effort each day. Maybe the first thing that you do, maybe today's 1% is doing the dishes as you use them. And all I mean by that is if you're anything like my house, dishes get loaded up, you wait until the evening and then you go do the dishes. If that bothers you, make that your 1%. Going forward today, every time there's a dish in the sink, every time you put a dish in the sink, it doesn't make the sink, it makes the dishwasher. Or taking the trash out when it's full or to... Today, I'm going to focus on getting 15 minutes in the gym. 15 minutes isn't enough for anybody listening, but before you hit 30 or 45, you got to hit 15. 1% every, better, every day is not that hard. I mean, really, it's just not that hard. So for me, 
anybody that just wants to be a better version of themselves. I'm not trying to convince every anybody to to be like me or like my guests, but just to be better versions of themselves and who they want to strive to be. Yeah, no, hundred percent, man. The uh, when, when it comes to you know culture and, and leadership. And, and, and well, real quick to your point, like the CEOs also, I learned this lesson as a young Marine. I was going to work on a, a, a general system or something like that. I remember a sergeant pulled me aside because I was nervous. Like, oh, no, I'm going to go work on a general stuff. And he's like, hey, Del Dog, he puts his pants on one leg at a time just like you do. And I think that's the point, right, is that the, these big names, whatever, man, they're perfectly human too. You know, they're, they, they have lived a life. They've overcome challenges. They've got their own continued challenges or goals, objectives, whatever. So don't don't pedestal people, man. Like we're we're all perfectly human, you know. And 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 these guys have a lot of depth of wisdom, like you said, to to, to learn from. But you know, their challenges yeah. often aren't much different than yours or eyes or anyone else's sometimes. So yeah. um, when it comes to uh, leadership, you know, what's what makes a good leader, in your opinion? Someone that's willing to get in the trenches. Again, I go back to your willingness as a leader to do what it takes to win, but not, boy, I used to have, I had an old boss years ago and I was very confused by this approach that he took. But, you know, as a young sales guy, I would wait for my VP to fly into town and I thought he was going to come in and close these deals for me. And he would walk into these meetings and he wouldn't say anything. He would just sit there. And I remember three or four meetings in, maybe it was three or four trips that he took from Dallas to Phoenix, where I was living at the time, where I finally said, Keith, what are you doing, man? You fly in town and you don't offer much in these meetings. He says, Eric, the customer knows you. They're buying because they like and trust you. I'm there to drop my business card as a VP and let them know that we care about them and that I'm here to support them should they need anything. And then on the back end, I'm here to walk you through how did the meeting go? What could we have done better? So Keith did a tremendous job of sitting in those meetings. Let me being the leader in, let me be the leader in the meeting and run point. But also I had to step up my A game because Keith was there. So he'd go run through the fire with me. If I was going astray, he'd bring me back. But the sign of a good leader is someone that's willing to do what it takes to help you be successful. It's not about them. It's about you whether that is financial, whether that's running meetings for you, whether that's letting you take vacation. I've worked for companies in the past, uh, again, a sign of bad leadership in my opinion, where people have taken vacations to other parts of the country, other parts of the world, but they haven't been able to adequately disconnect. Meaning, Dale, you're on vacation for the next couple of weeks, enjoy your PTO, we'll hit you up if we need anything, or just make sure you, you're accessible uh, on your phone if if we need anything. Dale, when you're on vacation, you should be gone. Disconnect 100%. There's no excuse for that. So someone that's willing to, as I said earlier, pick up the broom and do what it takes and not expect you to do all the work as the employee. And the other thing is, if you as a company have core values and mission and a mission, that leader should exemplify the core values and the mission. So often companies have this grand idea of we're going to change the world. They have this, this BHAG of, you know, changing the world or doing something big and they, they splash it on the wall and it's in every, every notebook that they print and all that, but they don't live it out. It should be lived out and it's got to start 
with the CEO. It's got to start with the founder of a company. It's got to start with the VP of sales, the VP of operations. As I mentioned, my tagline is leadership is a choice. Culture is contagious. You got to choose each and every day to lead by example. That's my 15-year-old in his class. That is your seven-year-old in her class. That's me as a sales leader. That's Dale hosting a podcast. Um, you know, as an example, when I host a podcast, I ask everybody to shut their email off, turn their phone off and all that. A true leader is going to do the same in return. I was really embarrassed the first time my phone rang and I was hosting a podcast when I had just told my guest, hey, if you could shut everything down. It's the little things each and every time. Yeah. And I think I think that's all spot on. What about, you know, you mentioned earlier, you know, going to a firm and they had everything, you had the, you got the rose uh, colored glasses on and all that stuff. So today, if someone was asking you that they were out there looking for a job or looking at a new company or whatever, you know, what would be your advice to someone as far as culture, what to look out for, what maybe even what questions to ask or, or so on to kind of see where, see what they're walking into. So one of the interesting things I've learned in interviewing people and being interviewed for jobs is it's a two-way street. So Dale, if you're hiring me and I'm in the interview process, you're interviewing me to see if I'm a fit for your company. I should be doing the exact same. I don't think there's anything wrong with me looking at you midway through the interview process, sending you an email or saying, hey, Dale, you know what, man, I'm not a fit. This isn't what I'm looking for. So often I feel like we as, as people interviewing for jobs feel like if we're interviewing and they offer it, we got to take it. I look to interview as crazy as this sounds. I look to interview with so as many people as possible in the same company from the executives to the mid-level managers to the people on the streets. And the reason I want to do that is I want to, I want to pick three or four questions and I want to ask them all the same question. And if you get different answers, for these questions, something's not right. Dale, how would you articulate the culture of the organization? John, how would you articulate the culture of the organization? Hey, Sarah, how would you articulate the culture of the organization and who lives it out best? Or what areas do you struggle in and as a company and what are you doing to overcome those obstacles? If you're not hearing the same answers or similar answers during the interview process, from the executive level and the people on the streets, something's wrong and it's not a fit. If I start to hear the same things over and over and over again, hey, you know what? We really struggle with our software. We're a small startup. We're trying to migrate from sort of homegrown applications to more formal applications like NetSuite and Salesforce.com. And that's going to be a struggle for us over the next 18 months as we make that migration. But the leadership has proven over the years that they're willing to do what it takes to help us be successful. They've maybe they've lowered our quotas to accommodate the challenges that we're having, or they've given us more budget for travel. I look for similarities in the answers. And if the answers aren't similar, regardless of what you're asking, that's a red flag. I'll tell you, I went through this process the last time I interviewed for a job, and it was a great job. It was incredibly well paying, far more money than I'm making today. It was hard to say no. I got an offer and every part of me wanted to say yes, but there were two conversations that struck me and I ultimately said no because those two conversations where the answer should have been identical were so vastly different. I thought something's not right. 
this is not a fit for me. Well, the intuition kicking in a little bit. When you got to be happy where you go. You know, I I know so many of us move from job to job over the years, but you got to be happy because if you're not happy at work, you are absolutely not going to be happy at home. Yeah, yeah, 100% goes both ways on that, right? If you're not happy at home, you're going to struggle finding happiness at work and vice versa. Now, I'm with you there. With with regard to, and I, and I think that's great advice and a, and a great strategy and framework for someone out there today, especially people coming off unemployment because of COVID or whatever, or looking for new opportunities. I think that's that's really a great tactic to to really find the right fit for you. And it's it's important. You're right. Because it is a, it's, it's a bit of a marriage, right? I mean, it is a, a life event, you know, picking your next employer. So, um, what do you think is going on with this great resignation thing? What's, what's, what's your take on it? This is one of my favorite topics. You and I didn't talk about this in advance. No. We've read a lot about this idea of the great resignation. For those that don't know, half of America right now, half, 50% of America is currently looking for work. And we say that as a bad thing, right? We, uh, I've got a FedEx package. I ordered something on uh, on Amazon a couple of weeks ago and it's not here. And I'm frustrated of this great resignation because there's logistical issues. There's hundreds of ships sitting out in California that, that can't deliver product because of this great resignation. The great resignation might be one of the most unique and greatest gifts COVID has given us because people are finding themselves. I've, I've done this through COVID. Uh, I'm probably going... I probably shouldn't share this because I'm still employed. I love my job. I love the people that I work with. But through this idea of the great resignation and me finding myself, I've realized that I can sell widgets pretty well. I can lead a team of people selling widgets pretty well. But this isn't this isn't my life's journey. This is not where my life stops. This, In fact, the gifts that I've been given over the 21 years I've been doing this have led me to desire far much greater. And I think that's what the great resignation is all about. It's people saying, I work for the wrong culture. I work for the wrong leaders. Gosh, man, I got my architecture degree and somehow I became an eighth grade science teacher. Or, hey, I got my, my real estate license and I always wanted to get into real estate. And somehow over the last 15 years, I'm, I'm, you know, servicing vending machines or working at Starbucks, or I'm a manager at a Macy's. And I believe the great resignation is people have spent a year and a half at home, more time at home than they've ever spent. And they're finding themselves. For me, I read a book every single week. I was 40 years old, 40. I'm 41. I was 40 years old the first time I picked up a book on my own for the purposes of deciding to read a book. I now read a book every single week. And I don't want to leave my company tomorrow but I know my next job is probably not going to be selling widgets because I have bigger aspirations than I've ever had before because I've found myself. So I think the great resignation is about people finding themselves and wanting more for themselves. And listen, there's some logistical issues. Your Amazon package is probably not going to show up today. It will show up. Give it time. Be patient. And we'll get through this because just as there are People that don't want to do the job that they're doing today, there are people that want to do that job. There are people that, that are like, you know what? I'm I'm done being the VP of sales. I want to go do something that's that's easier and more life-giving for me. And I can live on on uh, a delivery route. I can I can go deliver Amazon packages 20 hours a week 
and I can go focus on building a podcast or I can go focus on writing a book or I can go focus on whatever that passion is for you. Starting, starting a gym for homeless kids so they've got a place to work out and shower and you know clean up after a long day. So I think once we get through this great resignation, society's going to get back to normal. I think everyone's going to be a lot happier because they're where they want to be and not necessarily where they got stuck. Do you think that happened because everyone was just so busy, right? Like we've, we've really gotten busy, right? Cause you know, with it, with our phones and having so much access to information, do you feel like people were just consumed themselves with busyness and then found, like you said, kind of found themselves in this job. They were like, well, and, and then we, we checked that we checked the system and I was like, what the heck am I doing here? You know? And, yeah, it's interesting. I don't know exactly. For me, again, I'm 41. Uh, I'll be 42 in a couple of weeks. Someone's done the math and they're like, damn, Eric, he got started really young. Yes, I've got a 21-year-old. I had my first when I was 20. I needed to make some money. I was I was in college when my wife got pregnant and working an hourly job somewhere. And I got a job in technology through the help of some, uh, some acquaintances at the time. And I... I got quote unquote stuck. I made good money for a 20 year old. I make really good money as a 41 year old. I'm, I'm fairly talented at this. So this is where I started my career. And I, 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 and I don't mean this to diminish my industry or what I do or the people that I serve or get to work with because I love everything about what I do, but I got stuck about 15 years ago. I realized, well, shoot, uh, this is not what I thought I would do. There's a part of me that wanted to go to finish school and be a lawyer. There's a part of me that had other aspirations for my life, but gosh, man, this is what I'm doing. And I think you do something for a couple of years and you find out that you're pretty good at it. Or for some people, it's just easy. I talked to a guy yesterday. I said, Hey, how's work? He goes, I don't know. It's, it's really easy. I said, are you looking for work? Are you bored? He goes, bored out of my mind. But I'm at a point in my career where easy is just okay. So I think a lot of us found ourselves in an industry or in a vocation that was easy or it paid the bills or to your point, it checked a couple of boxes and we just got stuck. And then again, me sitting in my house for a year and a half and the joy of watching my kids run by and now I'm reading a book every week and I've somehow found myself. I think a lot of people sat down and said, I didn't like going into the office in, anyway. So the idea that I don't have to go see those people, this is great. Let the pandemic continue because I do not want to go see those people. I don't want the coffee talk. I don't want the chatter at the cube. And I think they found themselves. Some of it is we're just really busy. Whether you've got no kids or in my case, seven kids, our lives are full. And, and where they're not full of things that we are obligated to do, there are things that we obligate ourselves to, whether it's the hour long commitment to the gym every day, or I'm going to sit down and read a book for an hour every day, or I'm going to mow the yard, or I'm going to serve the neighbor who's in his 80s and I'm going to go mow his yard. We have a really beautiful knack for filling our days and that busyness of life that came to a screeching halt in the middle of March last year, I think has forced us all to revisit what our lives are all about. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're awesome at articulating stuff and that's, that's kind of what I was after, right? Like, you know, we were just consumed and there's just so much fog of war and our busyness. And then all of a sudden that was away and it kind of allowed us to kind of wake up a little bit and go, what are we, what are we doing? You know? And cause you know, look, uh, knowing what your purpose 
and your passions are and then deciding to be congruent with that, like there's a lot of fulfillment there and fulfillment means joy, you know, and what are we here for? We're not here to enjoy life, right? Like, you know, like we've got professionals out there grinding for that 80 hours a week and they just, they don't even know why anymore. They're just doing it because, right? They're stuck or whatever. Um, they, they don't have that, that f- sense of fulfillment or being passionate about what they're doing. And I think you're right. Like we, there was a, there was a check to that system that gave people an opportunity to kind of pick their heads up. Um, and you're in sales this is, and I guess it kind of relates to sales. I used to tell people, you know, when you go back and go to like renegotiate a contract or something and, and someone's pushing salesperson, CFO, whatever to do a price change. Oh, they've been paying the same price for years. I, my always thing was like, look, we better weigh to risk because the minute you invoke change, it you invoke change. So if you go to a client and you go, hey, you know, you've been with us a year, we add some value, this is going to be the change. That's actually a trigger to go, well, I don't know if if, if my prices are going to go up or things are going to change, I don't know if that change I want to have with you, or maybe I should take the opportunity to look at what other yeah. opportunities they are. And I think this is kind of like the, uh, the uh, a worker version of that, so to speak. Um, you know, they, people were like, hey, if things are going to change, well, maybe I should look and see uh, what else is out there. The one piece of advice that I'd give people, the one thing, uh, and, and this is me pointing to myself as much as I'm giving advice to others don't just have a vision for what you want your future to look like and quit your job to go aspire to that. Go find that job. There's nothing wrong. Boy, I was 20 years old. Ah, I was 22, 23 years old. And a, a neighbor told me, Eric, you don't have to like your job. You have to serve your family. Meaning you may find yourself in a miserable spot for a couple of years because it pays the bills and you got to build your resume. You don't have to love your job. There's a lot of people out there right now that are unhappy. Don't quit your job because you still, we still have financial obligations to our families, to our mortgages, to banks, to the car loan, to all of that stuff. Don't quit, but go build a plan to go into teaching. Go build a plan to go into sales. Go build a plan to move to a farm and... um and, and, and build a farm, get some, ant- whatever that plan is, build that plan and then have steps to get there. And at some point in that plan is quit your job to go do something different, but don't quit your job today just because you are done. <laughs> Quit Quitting your job is probably not a good uh, place to use the uh, ready, fire, aim strategy, right? Like <laughs> <laughs> Bingo. <laughs> but there's a lot of people doing it right yeah, now. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, look, I, I believe in a power necessity too. So who knows what's the right thing? Do what, do what you think's right for you and, uh, and live with the results and get through it. You, you certainly can. The, um, what do you think? So you've got a lot going on, right? You got seven kids, you got the podcast, you got this uh, career. Like, what do you think, what habits, uh, contribute most to your success? Probably none of my own. I would say that I attribute all of my success to my wife. I have the most supportive spouse that I could ever hope for. I dreamed up this podcast uh, I now about a year and a half ago, and she leaves the house so I can record. I read a book every single week, and she gives me the time to do that. Now, we've mapped out the things that are really important in the home. So, you know, getting the dishes done, spending quality time with the kids, making sure her and I get out for a date every week. 
but she's really supportive of my desire to be a better version of myself, read books, host podcasts. I've got a guy that I'm meeting with this afternoon. So she is, she is out of the house right now, taking the kids somewhere so you and I can record. She'll leave again this afternoon. And so for me, there's just, I got to read a book every week. That's my commitment to myself. So there's the habit. But I have a really supportive wife that allows me to reach my goals. That's super supportive. That's all. Awesome. And you guys have been married for how long? 17, almost 17 years. Good for you. Good for you. It's great to have, great to have a good partner like that, man. Good for you. Oh, yeah. The uh, and how do you, how do you keep the energy up? What, what's uh, you know, how do you how do you keep the energy up? How do you recharge? This my I, I get totally juiced by having conversations. So next week in Vegas, you know, one of the if I'm honest with myself, one of the reasons I won't talk to my wife a whole lot is because I want to be out from 7 a.m. until midnight because I recharge through conversations. I think that's one of the reasons that COVID initially, you know, that two or three month window I talked about earlier where I didn't know how to do my job it's because I was used to steak dinners and lunch and learns and uh meetings over a happy hour and that stopped. And so I had to find another source for that. For me, the podcast is super life-giving. Reading a book and then knowing, yeah, I get to talk to this guy, Ryan Leak, later this morning. Ryan has done an incredible job of writing a book, telling a story in a documentary. He's got an incredible engagement and marriage story. And I get to talk to him about it. I get to ask him whatever I want. And so for me, that's where I get my energy uh, but it's also watching my kids thrive. You know, our kids are super passionate uh, young men and women and watching them do the things that they want to do is also really life giving for me. Yeah, no, that, that's awesome. The, uh, w- with regard to books, what's it, what's some of the so getting into reading, you know, I think that's awesome. I honor you for that. So what at this point are you telling people to read? So if someone's out there listening there, man, I really need to start reading. Where do I start? What, what's, what are your recommendations to kind of tell people to get Jump into. So there is a book that I was forced to read a couple years ago that is maybe one of the greatest books out there. It's written by the Arbinger Institute, and it is called The Outward Mindset. I think I've had my 15-year-old read it. Uh, That was a punishment for some behavioral issue that we had. He had to do a book report before he got privileges back. That was a lot of fun. Um, I've got my 13-year-old reading it right now, but it It really does a great job of articulating that we are all probably looking at the world incorrectly and a better way of looking at it, which is, Dale, if I have someone resign their position today, my immediate thought is they found something better or I start making excuses as to why they left. Dale, if I have someone quit today, it's my fault because I didn't give them the tools that they needed to be successful or want to stay. So I think the outward mindset is one Chasing failure, uh, you know, I will. I decided a couple of weeks ago that at the very end of the year, after having read 50 or 60 books this year, that I'm going to do maybe a top five. Chasing failure without question is a top five for me. So this is a young man who's in his early 30s, who at 29 years old decided that he wanted to try out for an NBA team. He had no reason to try out for an NBA team. He was a Division three basketball player. So he he had the skill set for it, but he was out of his prime relative to. He didn't get drafted. He had never tried out for the team before. But this idea of chasing failure and the things that we can learn from failure, the, the book 
is absolutely fascinating and by far uh, a, a top five. And then I would go with Leanne Davey. The book is called The Good Fight. We talked about it a little bit earlier. All but one chapter is dedicated to conflict at the office. How do we have meaningful conflict at the office? And the last chapter, which I think she could write an entire book about, is conflict at home. How do you have meaningful conflict at home? Because Dale, so much of what we all do in life at the office, at home, at church, on soccer, to whatever your sporting event is or, or whatever, we avoid conflict at all costs. And she talks about how to engage in healthy conflict. Yeah. And I think that's a very necessary thing to do. Absolutely. I love it. And, and I think uh, you, have you read much Jordan Peterson? Yeah, I've read some Jordan Peterson. So, so he points out as an example, and I don't know if this is a book or one of his uh, lectures, but, uh, and and you remind me of this, talking about your wife and the support that she gives you, right? Like, you know, it's, you want to marry a partner that sides with your potential, right? That that wants to see you meet your potential. And who's going to bring that healthy conflict when you're not, right? When you're not living to your t- in potential, right? And, and, and having a true partner that's like I say, on the side of seeing you be your best. And and I think that's, you know, we, we do ourselves an injustice avoiding these difficult conversations that need to be had, you know, and that's, that's where courage comes in. You got to have courage to do the right thing. And when the, that conversation, something needs to be fixed, you got to kind of lean in and not, not to go win, but to go fix it, right? Like there's an issue, we got to fix it. So the only way we're going to fix it is communicating and, and getting it done. Yeah, awesome. Absolutely. So, hey, man, I want to, I know we're running up on time and I want to make sure you got some good time to, before you go into your next thing, but uh, how can people find you? What's, find you on a podcast and find you online? What's a good way to connect? Council Culture is the name of the podcast, C-O-U-N-S-E-L. Council Culture is the name of the podcast. Anywhere you listen to podcasts, you can find me on LinkedIn. I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. It's probably the, the social media forum that I am on and most active with Instagram, Twitter, uh, the whole nine yards. Cool, man. Hey, babe. well, look, it's been an honor. I want to keep picking your brain about you got you gave me a ton of books. I'm an avid reader, too. So you gave me a ton of good books. Looking forward to your list because I've not seen these, but they're they're going on my list right away, man. So I appreciate it. I honor you for coming on, sharing your story. Got a lot of good advice out there, man. So uh, thank you, brother. And I'll talk to you real soon. Yeah, thank you so much. I appreciate the opportunity. Yep, definitely.